Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, VP of Creative Development at Scholastic, Billy DeMichel. So um, I'm really happy to be here tonight, and I'm going to introduce our guest of honor. I wanted to tell you that People Magazine called him one of the top 10 most successful young people in Hollywood. He began performing at the age of eight. At the age of 15, he had already landed gigs at world-renowned comedy clubs in Los Angeles like the Improv, the Laugh Factory, Comedy Store. At 17, he became the youngest staff writer in television history at Nickelodeon, which would become a home for him. And he's come a long way since then as an actor, a musician, a stand-up comic, a television host, a producer, entrepreneur, philanthropist, father, and now an author. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Nick Cannon. How you guys doing? Ah, oh. woo! Hello. Yes, sir. You are everywhere. I mean, you're doing everything. But this is your first book about poetry. Why poetry? Oh, man, I feel like poetry is definitely the best form of expression. Uh, just there's no right or wrong way to do it. And it allows you to tap in to your creativity in such a way that, you know, it's, re it's, it's an emotional connection. So it's really cool. And you had, this book came out of an inspiration from when you were a kid. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I honestly was in, inspired by several things. I mean, poetry in general, but uh, the first poet that I was truly inspired by and, and introduced me to the world was Shel Silverstein. Uh, so to, to be able to be a fan of, you know, uh, where the sidewalk ends, the light in the attic, and yeah. to see what he did, uh, with those words and illustrations really touched me. It was like opened a whole new world for me. At the same time, it was simultaneously the idea of, uh, you know, I was a, a child of hip hop as well. So to be able to experience those two worlds at the same time was really dynamic for me. You know, a lot of people, uh, do you guys know the writings of Shel Silverstein? Brilliant, brilliant um, writer. Amazing dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what's amazing is if you ask a lot of people he had some sort of a, he had some great impact on their lives. I know he was one of my favorites. I loved his poem, Messy Room, because I kept a messy room. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your favorite of his writings, though? I would have to say my favorite of Shell's writings. I mean, I loved all the poetry books, uh, but uh, The Giving Tree was something I was probably, right? That was a, just the, the tale, the, the simplicity in it, but how complex it was. Yeah. And, you know, even as a kid, it's just, you know, to, know so much uh, about this relationship between this young boy and this tree and yep. even to where he was always an old man and the tree was still there for him it was outstanding um do you guys like poetry so, right here's the thing i think poetry sometimes gets a bad rap yeah some people call it elitist but really i mean it's everywhere right it's 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 a real showcase for the written word and so there are poetic references in, in music, in, in, in all of pop culture. Um, but you had some very early influencers when it came to poetry, didn't you? Aside yeah. from Mr. Silverstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I definitely have to say, um, you say a bad rap. I would just say, honestly, it, it actually 
was rap music. Yeah. <laughs> that actually was uh, my first introductions as well as just, you know, being a child of hip hop and an 80s baby. Uh, that's just street poetry, you know what I mean? It's uh, poetry to a beat. And, you know, today we all know hip hop is probably the, the biggest cultural thing, you know, around the world uh, that allows every culture to connect and they connect through this this uh, this music and this culture that we've all kind of, you know, from from the 80s on have been able to be stewards of. So it's it's really outstanding to, to be able to bring the world of written poetry and obviously, you know, street poetry, which we call hip hop together in, in one book. And you did that. I tried. You did because <laughs> in your new book, Neon Aliens, okay, Neon Aliens ate my homework. That is like one of the coolest covers thank, ever. I thank love that you, cover. Babe. We had a lot of fun with that. Thank you. But the poem you wrote, School of Hip Hop, is yeah. a direct shout out to these great rappers. And I wondered if you'd read it and we have it on our iPad right here. Absolutely. I would love to. And here it is. It's kind of cool. I was, uh, I read the poem, but then also want to just even say like, there's some, some interesting ideas that I really got excited uh, with the wordplay and stuff that I, I did with this. But uh, I'll start off and then I'll get into that afterwards. It says, Cool Herc the founder, Flash the grandmaster, KRS1 the professor, Coach Busy B and Cool Mo D instructed on how to be a word wrestler. Chuck D, the lecturer, while Flav had a love for PE, but my favorite three teachers were Run DMC. The girls were salt and pepper while the boys were beastie. After recess, we cooled down, cold chilling with Ice Cube and Ice T. Eric B and Rakim taught us work uh, because the God don't play. Todd made the class hard as hell. Raise your hand for Mr. LL Cool J. Wanted to receive a degree in NWA. The curriculum was formulated by Dr. Dre. Dougie, Slick Rick, Snoop, Eminem, Outkast, Biggie, Pac, Nas, and Jay. Hopefully one day I can graduate and proudly say hip hop hooray. So. I think it's kind of cool. Have, yeah, you have a great story about this. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously they, it rhymes and it kind of makes sense. Uh, but for anybody, this is really like a history lesson in, in hip hop if you really pay attention. Because cool, cool Herc is really the founder of hip hop. He was the first person uh, to actually take what was called toasting in Jamaica, where, you know, they would have dance hall parties in Jamaica and there would be a guy that would get on the mic and toast you know, while there was someone else playing music. So he took that idea of toasting and brought it to the Bronx. And he, would, he was literally the first person to take, you know, his mother's turntables and speakers and put it and have a party and talk over the records. So him being the founder and then, you know, as we all know, Grandmaster Flash, it says Flash is, Flash is the Grandmaster. He's the one that really turned into an art form, you know, and to this day is still, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest DJ. KRS-One, as we all know from Boogie Down Productions, uh, is, he, he truly is a professor in hip hop. He's, he teaches, you know, at several different colleges. So it's like, even, even I'm kind of giving them these terms, but this is what these guys actually do. Coach Busy B, or Busy B and Kumo D, if a lot of people don't know, 
were the it was technically the first battle rap ever on you know they actually have it documented where cool mo d and busy be at a party before them you know people wouldn't battle rap they would actually just say their rhymes and say how cool the dj was but busy b figured you know he wanted to be the top and you know that's why i call them were the first they instructed us how to battle a word wrestler uh, Chuck D, as we all know from Public Enemy, is truly a lecturer. This is what he has done from, you know, his music from the 80s all the way until today. And we all know his sidekick, Flavor Flav, uh, loves to play. <laughs> and I, I kind of like play the word on, you know, you know, I think, uh, what was Flavor Flav's show? The Flavor of Love. So I was like, Flav had love. the love of P.E., obviously Public Enemy. And then as we all know, Run DMC, who's, you know, my favorites. Uh, one of the most popular girls, uh, uh, girl rap groups was Salt and Pepper. As we know, the boys are beastie. And then I just started naming all some of our favorites. But it was just a really cool wordplay on how, you know, some of the greats and the best to ever do it. Get, you get a quick history lesson in a small poem. So I get really excited and passionate about that one. He does. Hey. I love this book. I Thank mean, you. I do. I, I think this book is amazing. I, I, I love the title. Thank you. Um, but I'm going to... If you don't mind, I'm going to steal your thunder for just a moment. Uh-oh. I am. Uh, I'm going to read. One of my favorites in this book is a poem called Put on a Smile. It's simple and to the point and powerful. Be who you are, not who the world wants you to be. Love yourself, not the person the world wants to see. Embrace your flaws and turn them into a style. The best kind of fashion is when you put on a smile. Here's the thing. This is a, a really important poem for kids to hear. Right. A really important poem for Thank kids you. to hear. I think this idea of self-acceptance and expression of who you are, and I think there's so much of that running through the book is why part of and we'll get to some of that a little bit more of it, but that's what makes this book so special. Um, but back to the title. Right. <laughs> Where the heck did that come from? Uh, neon Aliens Ate My Homework. It's a true story. It, it, it really happened. It did. No, honestly, it is, it, it's a true tale in the sense that when I was in the fourth grade, uh, I didn't do my homework, and I had the audacity to tell my fourth grade teacher that uh, I was abducted by aliens the night before. Uh, <laughs> did she believe you? And I, you know what? She, and she, humored me she she enjoyed the fact that she knew I didn't do my homework but the fact that I was creative enough to come up with the most absurd story uh, she definitely phoned home and called my mother uh, uh -huh. one to tell her <laughs> that I didn't do my homework uh, but two to tell her that you know how creative I was and that you know that they wanted to tap into my creativity so you know needless to say I never missed a homework assignment again uh, but it was really cool to, you know, that the teacher actually took time to acknowledge that, yo, this kid is really creative and uh, we wanted to tap into his imagination even more. I want, I want you to recite that poem. Yes. But we're going to do it in a, in a little bit because I want to get back. Um, I want to take Nick back a little bit in time and take go back, back to when you were eight years old. Uh-oh. Um, so you've been writing since you're eight. I remember when I, when I was a kid, I wrote in a journal because it was a safe place for me and a great, great place to escape. Yeah. Was writing an escape for you when you were a kid? Was, was it some sort of a safe place for you to go? And did you journal? Oh, I definitely did. I mean, I, I have my first spiral notebook um, when I was eight years old. And interestingly enough, 
during that time, eight years old when I first started making entries, as we say, that's also probably the first time I had ever experienced a, a life hardship or, or a difficult time uh, where um, my grandfather, uh, my mother's father was killed in a car accident. And I really didn't know how to deal with that. At, at being, and you were eight. When I was yeah. eight. Yeah. Uh, and he was such a powerful influence in my life because he was a minister to our family and, and at the local church, but also uh, was the person who introduced me to music. He was a musician as well. Uh, and during that process, like that's where I would vent and, and really found a way to get my emotions out and saw this as a, uh, like a, a place of peace, yeah. you know, and that yeah. I can actually voice my opinion because I mean, we all know at eight, it's, you, you're still trying to even figure out thoughts and how to put them together. So to have writing, uh, in, in a journal or a, a notebook there for me to be able to get thoughts out was really cool. All right. Personal. Personal. Do you remember your first entries? <laughs> I do remember my first entries. They weren't poems quite yet. They were just love letters to girls. Uh, <laughs> at eight, I was on it. Uh, <laughs> you, but it really was. It was just certain things. That, and, you know, really, they were love letters to girls, but at the same time, uh, probably goals for the future and what I wanted to be and thoughts like that. So that's really what I first started writing down and, and you know, how I was feeling emotionally, whether it was about being sad that my grandfather was no longer there or, you know, the crush I had on the girl Jasmine next door. Uh, so <laughs> it was always something like that before I got to the place of poetry. Um, you, um, you still have that notebook, right? I do. My mother has it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. She... She, keep, she kept all okay, my come stuff. On, that is Just sweet. like a mom. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to keep all of that stuff. Um, I do have a little bit of intel on you. Uh-oh. You, you, you shared a bit of it today. Um, when you were a kid, you wanted more than anything to have a race car bed. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you wanted a bed in the shape of a race car. Yeah, yeah. We all, you remember the race don't car you beds, them? you know? Yeah. When you grow up in, in the hood, you don't get those type of things. You, <laughs> Lucky if you get your own bed at all. So, but you would see, I remember like watching like Silver Spoons and it's cool. Like they would have all of those cool beds and stuff. And I always wanted a race car bed. And now I got my son one. So I feel like I finally got my bed. <laughs> I won't tell you the kind of bed I wanted. But I, I, there was, um, there's a, your first poem actually when you assimilated words into poetry had something to do with this. Oh yeah, cars. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, from the race car bed to obviously, you know, my my love for for motor vehicles. I, I've always had a love for cars, even at a young age. You know this one by heart. I do. This is I've your never, first poem, my eight years old. First poem I ever wrote, so please don't judge me. Uh, I was eight. Uh, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Mercedes Benz. To get one of these, you got to have ends. Talking about dollars, in other words, big bucks. You can't go riding in those farmer trucks. <laughs> Cars. <laughs> I was eight. <laughs> it was good though for eight year old. I think it still holds up. It's yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of which, what, what, when you look back at your notebook, when you can steal it away from your mother, what does <laughs> Nick now, adult Nick, think about those early writings? pretty impressed yeah uh, I mean honestly I mean to uh, I, I joke a little bit but obviously you get to go back I mean that's the beauty of writing is to where you can see the mindset you were in or the thought process that you had at that yeah. time and you know like I said starting at eight and 
you know, through my elementary to junior high school years to high school, it's like, oh, wow, some things I felt like I was really in tune on certain things. And some things like, oh, man, I didn't know anything at that time. But it was just like still being able to express yourself and, and the emotions that were on the paper are pretty cool. So you grew up in a lot of, you spent time between Charlotte, North Carolina and San Diego. Yeah. So growing up in um, inner city San Diego, um, that was part of the inspiration for some of your poems and yeah. Neon Aliens. I, I, I was wondering if you would, this is, this is a, I love this one. Oh, thank um, you. I wonder if you'd read it, Weird Concrete. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, like, you say things like, oh, you grew up in the tough streets of San Diego. That doesn't even sound right. Like, <laughs> if you say San Diego, you think, like, surfboards and Mini Coopers. But yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up in a, a, a small section of called Southeast San Diego that was closer to the the border of Tijuana and stuff. It was, a, it was a little tough and it was like it was a weird neighborhood just in that sense to where you know it was a low come in, low income environment uh, but at the same time I was so proud to be from there and still the scenery around it was 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 still beautiful in my sense so that's sure. kind of where the idea of weird concrete came from so it says we grew up on weird concrete guess that's why we never feared concrete every color is more vibrant on revered concrete you could even see the beauty in the blood-smeared concrete. We live far away from top-tier concrete, though we feel ownership because we raised and reared concrete. Our morals, goals, and most of all, our word appeared concrete. Yeah, we keep it real, even on genetically engineered concrete. Though it is hard and rough, we persevered concrete. When school let out, we cheered concrete. We learned to love it, when those above it jeered concrete. We were taught to protect ours when enemies neared concrete. We came from genuine tough love known as sincere concrete. We used our strength to rise above as we cleared concrete. Sometimes we tried to run away from it, but it never disappeared concrete. Remember our forefathers and ancestors pioneered concrete. That's why we should never snicker or sneer concrete because of those who marched and volunteered concrete. They allow us today to sway and walk cavalier concrete, footsteps, handprints, date of birth, or that special year concrete. In the distance, outsiders looked over and peered concrete, but they will never know how it feels to be speared concrete. Covered and smothered, immortalized as frontier concrete, mixtures of love and pain we block and interfered concrete. Listen closely to my heart and you can hear concrete. Trust and believe I live for this weird concrete. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely love that poem. Thank you. Um, this book, it's, you know, safe to say, and you've been vocal about this, is very personal. Absolutely. Um, some of the poems, in fact, were um, inspired by real kids, yeah. many of whom you've met and interacted with at this incredible hospital in Queens, St. Mary's Hospital for Children. Can you talk? I know this is such a passionate... Yeah. I mean, with, you know, I, I'm a busy guy uh, for so many reasons. I mean, just I, I like to be on the go. I always like to do stuff and keep it moving. My ADD has always got me doing several yeah. things and, you know, even like the... <laughs> the when you listed my resume before we got out here, it was just like he does this, 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 and this. Um, <laughs> but when I show up to a children's hospital, time freezes. Nothing else matters, and it's 
truly a place that puts everything in the proper perspective for me when it comes to life because you walk in there and you see these uh, young people dealing with so many hardships but still able to put a smile on their face and you step back and look like whatever my problem was or issue was during the day has nothing on what they're going through and they make conditions that are so difficult seem so easy and I honestly believe that when I get a chance to visit St. Mary's or any children's hospital, it's like the closest I've ever really been to angels. Because when you think about all that they're going through that they don't deserve and still able to express love and joy, it's like that's what life is really all about when you can connect with those type of beings. So true. Thank you. A great place. Yeah, it's honestly, a really amazing place. I feel I'm inspired every time I go to a children's hospital or even get the opportunity to experience any anyone with hardships, but especially young people. Um, shift gears just a little here to okay. talk about um, illustrations because the illustrations yeah. in this book. I mean, even when you think about Shel Silverstein, those illustrations enhanced his words, yeah. right, right? Right. So I think what you did here is you you actually. When you approached this book, you actually looked at a very specific kind of artwork that you wanted to. Um, can you talk about that a little? Absolutely. Well, again, I felt like this book was uh, all about bridging the world of, you know, traditional poetry and uh, hip hop. Um, and when you think of the four elements of hip hop, graffiti is is definitely one of the, the real foundations. And I wanted people to be able to experience that throughout this book. Uh, and, and when you think about what street art has become, I mean, you know, originally when it first started, people, you know, looked down on it and, you know, like, they of course, at it as vandalism. yeah, vandalism, yeah. but, you know, of course, vandalism is wrong. But when you really understand where these young people were coming from and it was just another form of self-expression and they were true artists, I mean, amazing artists. And to this day, I mean, some of them are world renowned and, and, uh, that art form has grown to not only become a huge industry, but it's just something that's, you know, really embedded in the culture. I wanted to make sure in the same way that Shell did with his, you know, iconic illustrations, I, I had the opportunity, you know, myself and a few other uh, amazing street artists to kind of push that message through and they help paint the pictures, you know, for several of my po poems. And it's really cool because when you think about street art, you know, I, I figured I couldn't do it myself. One, because I don't feel like um, I'm, I'm all right when it comes to, Wait, to but art. But you've, you've done some of the, po the, the illustrations in this book yourself. I did. I yeah. had the opportunity to do it. And, you know, I, I yeah. dabble in it. But I feel like, you know, I, I, I was able to surround myself with some amazing street artists as well. And that's the beauty. Like, if you go outside and look at a wall, you'll see, you know, half a dozen or more artists on one wall. So I kind of wanted to bring that experience to the book as well. Yeah. And brilliantly. You talk about um, making your poetry exciting and relevant to kids. But, you know, this book isn't just about kids. It's not just for kids. It speaks to everyone, from the ode to jazz greats like Satchmo and Miles Davis to poems about aliens eating your homework, which is <laughs> something we can all relate to. <laughs> but your poetry is really for everyone, isn't it? It truly is. And, I mean, you know, not to... Uh, sound like a broken record, but it goes back to being inspired by Shell. When you think about uh, all of his poems, like I, I have a love and affinity for his work just as much today as I did when I was introduced to it when I was eight. And I feel like it's the same idea and concept of which I'm trying to convey and, you know, hopefully get the opportunity to accomplish this. I, I write about 
issues and and ideas that we all have. Yeah. Uh, but try to make it as simple and and as open and is free for a young child to accept and enjoy as well. So that's kind of the concept was like I, I wanted the simplicity, but I still wanted to have the weight and the heart uh, in the same way that, you know, the poems when growing up that I experienced. So on that note, if we what do you, what do you want most for kids and adults, anyone here in this room? What do you want them to take away from this book? Uh, I would love for people to take away fun. I mean, I had fun writing it and, and, and putting it all together. Uh, and then, you know, they're they're humorous and they're light and you know if it can if you can take a moment and step away from whatever you're doing that may have you stressed out or you know kind of dealing with life's real issues if this could take you away from that for a second I mean I feel like honestly you know that's one of the reasons I was put on this earth is to make people smile and if this book can do that and inspire at the same time that would be the only other thing if if someone can uh, be inspired to be more creative, a young yeah. person to express their creativity, or even, like I said, just to to brighten their day and make them say, hey, that was cool. That, that took my mind off of things for a minute. I would love that. I want to end with, um, you, you were quoted as saying that writing is at the center of everything you do, I do, as an artist, music, comedy, and creating stories for television and film. Clearly that's still true. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, people always say, you know, if you could only do one thing, what would you do or what do you love the most? The, and I always say writing because the core of everything that I do is writing. I get, you know, my job is to wake up and be creative. That's truly a blessing. I mean, where, you know, whatever I put my mind to, you know, it can happen and it all starts on the paper for me. You know, whatever idea, whatever song concept, whatever television or film concept, you know, it all starts with, you know, waking up and jotting something down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, the the blessing that we have with writing and the freedom that we have is that we can write and create anything. Well, this is your second book. Yes. You wrote a beautiful holiday story with your ch about your for children. My, for them babies. Yeah, my kids. And yeah. uh, which we love. Uh, but I can't think of a better way to end today than coming back to the writing. Yeah. The writing that you do so well, the writing that's, I know, going to inspire a lot of kids and adults. Um, and would you read two of maybe your favorite pieces? Oh, sure. I know one of them is Neon Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. then you have another beautiful poem called The Wordsmith. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Wordsmith is, is something that I kind of would always say, and it was just something that I didn't even, like, I think it was the same thing. Like, uh, you know, when you, you go to sleep uh, and wake up with a, a brilliant idea. So I think it goes something where it says, you know, I'm an artist with words, I think in cursive. I fall asleep with a dream and wake up with a purpose. You know, so it's like. So simple. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and elegant. Um, Nick is gonna end our conversation by reading the title poem from his book, Neon Aliens Ate My Homework, which, by the way, is available as we speak. Go to your iPhones now, click on iTunes, the book is available. Um, Neon Aliens Ate My Homework. Neon Aliens Ate My Homework, based on a true story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know this sounds totally berserk, but last night, Neon Aliens Ate My Homework. They zoomed down right above my home and zapped me up inside their dome. These little green guys glow brightly in the dark. Their dripping fangs snap with the force of a shark. I was scared out of my wits, not knowing my fate, thinking to myself, I'm gonna be next on their plate. 
what would satisfy the hunger of these guys? Would they leave me alone if they heard my cries? I offered them my notebook and even my backpack. I feared they could make me disappear with a zip zap. The aliens weren't done. They still wanted something to eat. So I took out my totally finished algebra worksheet. <laughs> that did the trick. And they sent me home without warning. When I got back, it was eight o'clock the next morning. I ran in the house and cried for my mom. She hugged me tight and told me to keep calm. Mom said, just tell your teacher the whole story. She'll understand what happened, don't you worry. Alien invasions are common in this nation. <laughs> and so are kids with fantastic imagination. Yeah. True story. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Cannon. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are going to take some questions from the house. And I think um, we have somebody walking around with a microphone. So make sure you ask your question in the mic. How was... Wait, what's your name? What's up? What's, up? what's oh. your name, man? I'm Jeremiah Williams. All Hi, right, Jeremiah. Mr. Williams. And I'm nine. Not and he's Great nine. age. Yeah. How was Real Huntsman of Hollywood for you? Your mama let you watch that show? You're only nine years old? Now, you know what? That show is some of the most fun I've ever had. When you think about, you know, I... You know, Kevin Hart and I came up in the game together since we were youngsters. And to be able to, you know, share success and kind of grow with your friends is amazing. And then to be able to act silly on set and, you know, make a TV show is one of those things where it's like, I can't believe they're actually paying us to do this because I'm just hanging out with my friends, coming up with the most absurd and silly concepts. And it, it makes for great television. You guys watch that show, Real Husbands of Hollywood? It's fun. So, you know, it's all, it's all Kevin Hart's fault, though. If anything, if it spoils your nine-year-old mind, blame it on Kevin. <laughs> Didn't you just lose to him in the NBA Challenge? I, well, technically. Wait a minute. I mean. I mean, it was, it's a team effort. Okay, all right, all right. We won the game. Yeah. He actually still got You MVP. won the dancing, though. Yeah, as, I don't even understand. How do you lose the game but still get MVP? That's, <laughs> but, you know, Kevin's a good guy. But you showed him your moves. Yeah, I had to, you know, he can't beat me in a dance no. battle. I got a mean running man. Hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? Um, I think you're phenomenal. Um, I just enjoy watching you just have a very likable persona. And I just, thank again, you. thank you. Um, I have a nine-year-old cousin who is writing screenplays at this moment. Wow. And I just think it's awesome. He tells these stories. What can you, what advice can you give me to go back to share with his parents to encourage him to keep just doing what he does? That's what I say. Keep going. Uh, I mean... I was, a, I was a young person like that. To me, there were no limitations. I didn't know limitations. And I believe that's one of the reasons why I'm where I am today is because no one told me no. And the people who did tell me no, they were drowned out by all the positive people that were telling me I could do whatever I wanted to do. So I truly believe, yeah, keep going more. Just, just encourage and, and, and if there is any way because on the flip side, and I tell this to a lot of the people when I'm hosting America's Got Talent, um, throwing your young people in adult situations too quickly is dangerous. Um, but allowing them to thrive amongst their peers is amazing. So I know a lot of 
parents and, and even teachers at time want to put their kids in a, an adult environment because they are so talented or they may even be geniuses in a sense. But sometimes when you put a, children in adult situations and especially when they become judgmental situations, that gets a, that, that gets a little scary. Uh, so as long as you allow them to be a child and to be childlike and to understand that there are no limitations to their imagination, that's really what it's all about. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. I actually want to uh, follow behind that question because okay. I'm an author myself. I'm a first time published author and oh, I have awesome. cerebral palsy. Pleasure to meet you, sir. And congratulations on your book. Thank You're you. You're a huge inspiration. I actually got a copy here for you awesome. as a gift. Thank you. Um, it has tips on how to overcome any situation for those who are going through anything in life. And um, it was actually inspired by my favorite singer, Beyonce. And I got the chance to meet with her Oh, last that's year. what's up. And, uh, you got to meet with Queen really B. <laughs> yeah. So um, I just wanted to give you that. And uh, I just Thank wanted you. to uh, get some tips on how to you know, continue to be a successful writer. Oh, man. I need to get some tips from you. How you going to get some tips from me? Beyonce ain't read my book. <laughs> <laughs> she will, she will, she will. No, this is awesome. I mean, I, again, any, any, I'm inspired by you, so I, I can't wait to, to crack this open and read it. But then at the same time, man, it's continue on. I mean, uh, from, from one creative to another, I mean, we got to continue to surround ourselves with other creative people and feed off of that energy. So uh, I'm inspired by you. Hopefully you're inspired by me. And together we can continue to inspire others. Can I just add something also from the publisher's perspective? You're published already. That's yeah. like amazing, yeah. by the way. Just so you know, it's not it's easy to real, get a book published. It's so. a real book. Like, my book so. don't have this many words. <laughs> my, my Instagram and my email's in there, so. Oh, good. Uh, there I'm you following go. you immediately. On the left-hand side of the, the page, like when you first open it. So. Uh, hey, absolutely. I got it all. Congratulations. I autographed it and everything for you. So. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this. Enjoy. It's a, it's a great gift. I appreciate no it. Thank problem. you. Uh, yes, hi, Nick. Um, just a sort of a personal question. Um, I'm a father, have four kids. Awesome. Um, I grew up in a very different neighborhood, very different country in Colombia oh, to my wow. kids. And my kids have, are, you know, in a, in a better position. Being a father yourself yeah. and, and, and having kids who are probably growing differently than you are, what is the one advice? Because I'm always giving my kids advice, but right. I always figure there's one that's going to stop. Yeah, 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 I deal with that daily. Uh, I think about that all the time. I mean, obviously, you know, when becoming a parent, you find out that you don't know as much as you think you know. Uh, so every day I, I have certain messages that I wish to convey. and I kind of want to make sure I could kind of, you know, not be convoluted with the ideas, yep. but just as clear. And, you know, because when you're dealing with these impressionable minds, you want the right things to go to them. I think in, in my situation with, with my two children, uh, just establishing love and, and normalcy uh, and acceptance, regardless of whatever else is around, um, is what I try to focus on the most. Allowing them to be the individuals that they want to be. But at the same time, being a parent and setting proper boundaries, uh, but at the same time, allowing them to be as free flowing and as loving as possible and feel loved. I always feel like, you know, because everybody has their own way of 
raising and what's right and what's yep. wrong. But I think if if the core idea is unconditional love, yep. you can't go wrong. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hi, Nick. My name is Willette. I didn't get a chance to finish reading your book, but I did read various excerpts of it, and I knew you grew up as a spiritual young man. Yes. And um, I knew that influenced you a lot through reading some of the passages in your book. Will you do things for children to realize that just because you're eight doesn't mean you can't be spiritual? Oh, yeah. I mean, spirituality is is my life. I mean, uh, and I feel like I have a new idea of spirituality. And I think I, I try to convey that in a way to where I go against the grain. I mean, being a kid who was a PK, as they call it, a preacher's kid, uh, there's very uh, traditional ideas that you grow up with. And as most if you've ever experienced a PK, we're very rebellious. Uh, because we have knowledge of what, you know, our parents may have taught us in whatever religion that we believe, but we still want to be just as cool and, and just as much as accepted as all the other kids. So I was kind of, I was in this weird, unorthodox uh, upbringing of a kid who wanted to be different and really was different because of my upbringing. So as much as I wanted to be cool, I could never be allowed in the cool crowd because of the because of my spiritual upbringing. So uh, today I feel like I can do everything and still have a strong spiritual base and understand that we all what whatever it is that you believe, you understand that, you know, this universe is real and and you find yourself within it however you wish to find yourself. So I encourage everyone just to tap into their inner self and whatever journey or whatever path or map that you take, that you follow, follow that and believe in it wholeheartedly and it's gonna work for you. So that's truly the idea that I, even with my own children, you know, I, I want them to understand that the spirituality comes from within themselves first. And then to make sense of it, they need to go out and find that, research that. And, and I feel like that's the core of spirituality, not, not to get too deep into it, but it's just finding your, your inner self and finding your inner peace that helps guide you through this silly thing we call life. I think your mother and father would be so proud of you right now. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I so. Do. My mom's shopping for curtains in the city somewhere. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Cannon. How are I'm you? I'm Jossie. Can we speak up just a little? I'm Jossie. 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 Nice yes, to meet yes. you, Jossie. Um, it's funny. I just walked down the block and said, oh, my gosh, Nick Cannon's in the Apple store. Like, what? I didn't even know. Oh, that's um, cool. Well, yeah, well welcome. I, Glad you came. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually did an interview with Kehlani. Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. Um, last week, I worked for um, Mass Appeal. Oh, dope. And... I wanted you to look at the um, the finished piece, if you could, and just... Absolutely. You know. One, thank you, because, you know, we are big fans of Mass Appeal. And just so I can kind of give you guys a little background on what she's talking about, because this is a really cool story. You'll really enjoy this story. <laughs> okay. So a uh, few seasons ago on America's Got Talent, there was this amazing group uh, called Pop Life. And they were an all-kid all band, you know, and they, I think the oldest member might have been like 16. And the lead singer of the band was this young lady by the name of Kaylani, And they were from the, the Bay Area. And they came in third place on America's Got Talent. I want to say it was season six, I believe. Um, 
and they, they got an opportunity to sing in the finale with Stevie Wonder. It was amazing for these kids. But obviously they didn't win. So, you know, they go on and go back home to be kids. So about a year later, I get this phone call from somebody who lives in the, in the Bay Area. And they're saying, hey, you know that girl who's the lead singer of uh, that group Pop Life? Uh, she's homeless. And I was like, wait, like she's homeless. She was just a year ago. It was looked like they were going on to big things. So I didn't understand. And as I uh, did my research on the young lady, I found out that, you know, she had lost her father at a very young age. Uh, I think she might have maybe only been one or two years old and her father was murdered in Oakland. And her mother was, you know, having a really difficult time with drugs and wasn't really providing for her. So, at 16 years old, she was in, you know, East Oakland homeless. So I was like, yo, I got to, I got to, whatever I can do, I got to help the situation. So what I did, you know, kind of uh, got in touch with her school and her guardian and all that stuff. And we moved her to L.A. Uh, and at the time, I was just focused on, hey, finish school, you know, you know, get your uh, diploma and. You know, of course, she was interested in music. She has an amazing voice and had never really been in a music studio. Her only experience was singing with this group in live shows and America's Got Talent. So I allowed her to have full access to my studio, whatever she wanted to do. And cut to today, now she's, you know, a signed artist to my record label and doing tremendous things. Just got it. She's performing at 12 shows at South by Southwest this year, uh, was on the road with g Easy, and, and looks like to be like one of the most prolific uh, writers of her generation because she's still so young but at the same time has lived such an amazing life so she has so many great stories to tell and she so. can sing and she can really she really, really can sing, sing like, she's amazing so yeah. we're hoping you know <laughs> fingers crossed you guys can look her up she has an amazing soundcloud mixtapes and everything her name is Kaylani she's 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 the real deal they're calling her the next Lauren Hill so you guys should definitely check her out yeah this is one of my favorite books of the year. It's certainly my favorite poetry book of the year. Thank so thank you. you so much for writing it. Thank and you. I'd just like to know what you're working on next for books. Uh, Book-wise, I mean, obviously, to me, this world, if I can continue to, to write poetry in the same fashion, like I said, you know, I'm super inspired by Mr. Sh uh, Shel Silverstein. So, you know, from a light attic to where the sidewalk ends and, you know, uh, all his other outstanding books. I would love to do another poetry book in this same form. So that's, that's, where we're, that's what we're working on. But even at the same time, I got so many other different cool ideas that we're working on with the great people at Scholastic. So you'll see a lot more from me in this field. Thank you all. Listen, you're in the right place. So tap onto your iPhones and iPads and you can download this amazing book, Neon Aliens Ate My Homework, the Thank amazing you. Nick Cannon. Thank you, the amazing Billy D. Michelle. <laughs>